So, um, uh, yeah, we're into shooting season, basically, which is kind of awesome for people who can get to the shoot. So I thought um, uh, I bumped into, well, actually, first time I met both of you, well, sorry, yeah. first time I met you, Dirk, and then the first time I had probably a proper good catch-up for a long time with you, Ian, as well, was at the Tarata shoot. And then you guys snuck off and did the Alpine the next week. Mm. Blair's domain as well so I thought I'd get you lads on as well for a catch-up and for a chat and a little bit of a debrief of the shoot um so yeah I mean I, I guess we all know who I am we kind of know who Blair is uh Ian Dirk who wants to go first or should I just choose a name you just choose Gary <laughs> <laughs> oh that's easy okay so I'll go yeah, yeah there you go <laughs> What, well, you're both wearing kind of your names and, and IDs on you anyway. So, but Ian, go for it. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm I'm based at Hardy Rifle in the in the sales department there, and uh, probably another big part of my job there is um, uh, product testing, testing our new products, and also evaluating other products made by other people. Uh, so, end up doing a lot of shooting. And um, we also have a lot of customers' rifles that they want zeroed or optics fitted and recommendations on ammunition and stuff like that. So it's, it's pretty it's pretty broad. <laughs> pretty broad, but basically you get to shoot guns a lot of the time and yes. a lot of variety of guns. Correct. I've been calling them New Zealand's only pro shooter. Yeah, it's probably <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I... Well, yeah, I mean, I met you originally, I think, when I was passing. Actually, I think I met you first time when I was passing via Hardy's with the new truck, I think is actually when I came in. Yeah. And it was Sushi, no, you, Sushi with the Hardy crew. Yes, right, you did too, yeah. And we just moved into our new premises about uh, maybe it was three years ago. Yeah. Well, I remember the, the warehouse was at a big tank of a truck that um, you and Dan or the lads were fitting out, I think. Yeah. Um, which had so there was like piles of engine parts and all kinds of stuff everywhere and big turbo manifolds and everything anyway so but the other thing is and and where it makes it extra relevant i suppose for what we do as well is that you're also on the um, competition circuit and to be blunt you're dominating is maybe too strong a word but it's not that far off it that you do go pretty goddamn well at all these shoots um and uh, What's the term? You're very quiet about it, I suppose. Humble. <laughs> Humble, thank you. Yes. So um, I thought we'll just, you know, get you on and blow some steam up your ass for an hour or something anyway. So, yeah, why not? Yeah. You why not? So, what's your background? <laughs> I mean, were you, were you, are you military? Were you civilian? Like, where'd you learn to shoot? Where was the shooting side of things come from? Uh, no. So, my, my background in shooting was from hunting with my father. Okay. You know, right, right from, you know, eight years old yep. sort of thing. But then it was sort of really progressed in my teenage years, um, you know, out deer shooting with my dad. And then sort of just progressed from there where, you know, you want to go off and do your own thing, have a go yourself. Yep. And um, found out pretty quickly that I, I wasn't a fantastic bush stalker. <laughs> but I keep going up a lot of uh, a lot of game on the clearings on the other side of valleys and gullies. I thought, you know, there must be a way to shoot across there and do that. So, and that just started. I just started practicing on a friend's farm, setting up targets. We had no laser rangefinders back then, so it was 
pace it out, measure it out, and just start playing with holdovers and trying to figure stuff out with the 270. And send it. Yeah, and send it. So then, like, that that just then progressed and developed, and, I mean, how, how did your involvement with Hardy start? I met Dan right in the early days when he was still in the military, mm-hmm. and I, I have no military background on and been in construction most of my life. Um, and I just met Dan um, when he was still in the military and he had just started making his generation one suppressors. Yep. And um, we crossed paths and he said, hey, do you want to try one of these and give me some feedback? And which I did. And at that stage, Dan was just working out of a shed in his residential home. Um, and he needed a wall knocked out in the shed to fit a lathe in there. So I gave him a hand with that, and then he said, try some more products, and we just sort of developed this relationship like that, and I started doing building work for him, and he would give me product to try. Yeah. And it just sort of escalated from there. Um, probably. <laughs> you just of, got yeah. more and more and more gear given to you. And yeah. So, yeah. You might as so, well come work with, it just it's probably going to end so up did, there. Did, did you, like, build something, and then he'll give you a rifle for it? <laughs> it could have been a bit of trade going on here. Yeah. <laughs> Don't pay me, just give me a new rifle. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Um, so you just just a big escalation from there, and then you know once um, Dan had outgrown being in a residential area, he moved out into the into the country. Yeah, where we, you know, built bigger sheds, and eventually we built a one big standalone shed over top of all the sheds that we were using. And uh, stripped everything out from the inside of it and had, you know, one building that was basically 30 metres long by 25 metres wide. Yeah. And everything was based in there. Huh. And from there, we moved into 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 a rural, uh, sorry, into a um, industrial area in town just over three years ago. Yeah. Where we needed to sort of expand again. And we had a lot of trouble in that rural area with the um, with power supply. A lot of power sure. cuts and stuff and like running, that. Running, running, yeah. Yeah, big CNC machinery. Dodgy yeah. power is not going to really like that. No. Cool. So, so yeah, that's and sort of from there, as far as the shooting goes, I mean, I just kept following what was going on out there in the shooting world and just kept experimenting myself. And then, you know, the the the, the great day when laser rangefinders became available to the public. <laughs> And, and, and then it was on then. Then it was like really made some good progress then. Very cool. All right. And uh, Dirk, so I, man, I don't know. You came on my radar fairly recently with the whole rookie precision side of things as well. And, <clears throat> and like I said, a, a little bit of um, color grading FOMO uh, going on as well because I do, I do appreciate a good light or color grade on, on photography and video as well, which we'll get Gene on soon as well. And he can, yeah, we can, yeah. We can uh, go on about video editing and grading for an yeah, hour. Then that's not me. <laughs> maybe it's a different, it's a different, different podcast. Maybe who knows? Yeah. Um, but what was the idea behind that? I mean, it's it, so explain. I suppose your background and a little bit of um, rookie precision as well, because I okay. guess that's your your shooting project. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, Ian, I'm s- assuming you're not slugging stuff straight out of a bottle of vodka down there. I've seen that bottle twice. I'm just yeah. You can. No, I don't my, mind. I'm just just an empty whiskey bottle full of water. Sure, whatever. Okay, yeah. cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So Jean and I actually met at the first Toronto shoot last year. That was my first match and his first match in, in New Zealand. And um, what happened? I think it was quite a, quite a long, probably sometime this year when we, we met up again. Um, I can't even remember where, where we saw each other and kind of had a, had a chat about it, uh, about shooting comps again and, and, and so on. Cause we both were kind of doing our own thing, but we should in comps and all see each other or we won't. Um, and then what happened? Oh, I told him I was, I was building this rifle, uh, the Barnard SMS action and, and so on. And, um, we started shooting together cause he's, he's, in, he's pretty close to me as well. And we immediately just found out that, you, you know, when you, when you meet someone, you're like, this guy is in the same, he's the same mindset as I am. And, um, what happened then? Oh, the one day we kind of spoke about, it would be cool to put out some content on actually the, the rifle build that I'm building. Cause if you look, go on YouTube, you don't see anything on a Barnard SMS action or actually building anything on a, on a, on a Barnard action. And then, we kind of thought, well, let's take this a little bit further and let's start an Instagram page and and kind of um, because he's got a very he's got a very good eye for photography and video editing and everything. We were like, oh, let's give this a shot. Um, would be cool. It's probably just just for ourselves, but if it grows a little bit, then then why not? So um, that's kind of where Rookie Precision started. Um, we the name came from the fact that we still think and are rookies, so. <laughs> We don't, we don't, we don't think very much of of our, of um, our, of 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 how we shoot at the moment. We're just trying our best, um, and then we just said, okay, rookie precision sounds pretty pretty chilled, and uh, we're gonna go for that. So yeah, that's kind of where the brand came from. Um, but it's basically just just documenting what we what we do in any way. So yeah, it's kind of cool. So now now that you two lads have been relatively humble and modest uh how'd you go in the alpine shoot <laughs> ian <laughs> uh you did okay <laughs> you did okay yeah top <laughs> top 50 top 10 yeah. we're going for yeah top third yeah i go top pull six. Another, pull off another win in the magnum class yep cool using the smallest and- magnum known to man which is the PRC? Oh, 22 Magnum? Yeah, 22 Magnum. What are you? Centerfire <laughs> Magnum, I mean. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, okay. yeah. 270? No. <laughs> no, they, sure. they and, um, yeah. and that was off your back. At, and then at um, Torada the week before, you'd been first in the um, open class as well. Yeah, and that was, well, it's essentially shooting the same rifle, but I had my um, six millimeter Creedmoor barrel kit in it instead of the six yep. five PRC. Which is which is a pretty strong endorsement and argument for the system that yes, you basically won one comp, one division, one week, then swapped the barrel off and then shot the other one. And yeah. no, no, no way diminishing the fact that I just know you can shoot and just very methodical about it. But um yeah, I mean it's a hell of a system that it, it, it's not hampering you. I'll put it that way. <laughs> no, definitely not. Yeah. So, um, which we'll talk a bit more about because I want to extract some information out, out of you about that six Creedmoor as well. But Dirk, you also uh, now where were you? You've you're up there as second. well on the second on the non magnum class, non magnum class. I only have one. I just shoot a six, six Creed, so it'll always oh. be non magnum. I think. 
hopefully. <laughs> hopefully not. <laughs> Your weird world if the sixth grade's getting put in magnum class. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, Blair, for, because they're slightly different from the North Island um, setups, can you quickly explain, is it just magnum, non-magnum for the divisions down there at the, the Alpine shoots? Yep. Um, had been up to two or three years, two years ago, I think, and they added uh, teams as well. So you shoot as a team as well. Um, so there was eight teams, I think, as well. Um, so they they mostly shoot one teammate than the other, but there is a couple of stages each match where they all um, shoot alternately um, and had to move on sort of thing. Um, but, yeah, otherwise it's just, yeah, magnum, non-magnum and teams. And if you're shooting teams, you're not also shooting in magnum, non-magnum? It's you no. either one. Just, yeah, just okay. yeah, because yeah, and um, the individual shooters, there's no calling or spotting from other shooters, whereas the teams gotcha. you're allowed to call shots for each other. So is that a is that a uh, sort of just a flat out explained rule that there's no calling? It's pretty much you yourself sufficient on it. Yeah, um, they do. They will give you the spotter will give you calls after your second miss. Okay. Oh, no, I remember. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I got the, a lot of those calls last time I was down there. Yeah. There was there was a lot of those calls. Uh, <laughs> and yeah. So, but I mean, also if they if you got if there's a new shooter and they're miles off, they may yeah. maybe they be the first one on and then they miss the rest. They'll they will give you a call to get you back on target. Um, but generally, it's yeah. If you once you've hit the plate, that's it. No calls. But um, otherwise, they'll give you a call after your second miss. Yeah. Usually fairly generous on on their calls as well. Usually reasonably specific. Sometimes they're a little bit vague, but um, depending on how you're doing. <laughs> well, you didn't hit. <laughs> <laughs> you hit the hill. Yeah, you're on the. Yeah, there's a bullet out there. Um, and I, as an aside, he's, I think he's busy today. But I was talking to Sam earlier today, yesterday. He was explaining. I think half of his rounds were apparently exploding halfway down to the yeah. targets or something with his. Uh, supercharged um eld no he's not he's shooting something else now his bloody one one and seven twist and just blowing bullets up all over the place yep after going on a massive rant about our hornady bullets all shit (laughs) (laughs) all all hornady yeah all bullets apparently shit when you're starting to steamroll them at the end of a barrel like that so um but as we were talking i was talking to him about it it's just like i think it's important to remember sam tends to run things at the bleeding edge of everything so he's just it's not like there's necessarily issues. He's just found the limit, <laughs> but uh, may or may not come back from it. We shall see. <laughs> yeah. So um, back to I'm just sort of going around in, in circles a little bit because I didn't I didn't think to ask it because I've just started load development for my uh, six Creedmoor uh, lads. So I've run the first 25 rounds of that through. Uh, since back to six Creed, I'm just going to extract a bit of info. You Ian, you're running a t- 29 inch barrel is that right it was like 20 it, it was actually it was actually 30 inch when i was at tarada <laughs> um as as of Another a couple of days hum, a couple of days brand. ago it's, a, it's only 30 it's, inch. Um, i've chopped it down to 26 a couple of days ago okay it, it was actually a, a barrel we had laying around for an export order that the fluting had been um over fluted done wrong sure so it was sort of like, ah, oh, you throw a six creed together, there's a barrel, throw it in, see how it goes. And then um, Tarata definitely highlighted that it was way too long for moving around the A-frame and some of those 
piles of logs, stages and stuff like that. Yeah. 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 Uh, that was my follow-up question. Yeah. <laughs> well, two two follow-up questions. One, yes, what did you realize? Did did you find it was hanging up on stuff? And two, what speed were you getting out of that thing? Because I wasn't sure if it was intentional or not, but yeah, it's um yeah. No, the, the, the speed side of it is I didn't actually gain any velocity, then I will do over it being 26. Oh, okay. Yep. Just because the powder's already pretty much burned in that first, you know, 26 inches. Sure. Mm. Um, unless I went to a slower burning powder and all that sort of mucking around, which is obviously not the plan. Yep. Um, you know, running pretty much the normal six creed powder that everybody likes, either 2209 or 4350. Yep. And um, 108 grain ELD match, Hornady projectile. Right. Well, the, the, the fact that you sort of just spun up a barrel you had hanging around is a wonderful addition to the story because it does explain why there was a guy out there with like a full-length pike trying to move around the barricades. <laughs> <and nothing. laughs> I didn't see you, but somebody said, oh, yeah, he's got like a 29-inch barrel. I'm like, holy <laughs> hell, he's he's a keen man. So Did that change like your ranging? Did you range from the front of the barrel? Because obviously it didn't your <laughs> yeah, yeah. would have been. <laughs> Yeah, I always, I always, always um, added another meter to the range, or deducted another meter off the range. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If you miss, you just you just poke the target with the with the bullet. Yeah, ten, yeah. ten meter stage, you probably nearly could actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Uh, and uh, Dirk, yourself. So you're running. You've always you built a six creed. You're just running six creed. That's going to be your you're you're the. I was going to say, I was, I'm, I'm writing an article and referring back to the old 6.5 guys. So you're the you're the six more guys, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Both Jean and I are both running six creeds. Yeah. Um, he's running 108. ELDM is pretty similar to what uh, Ian just said. I'm running the 110 SMKs. Okay. Um, in a one in 7.2 twist barrel. Um, yeah, they are. They're doing pretty well. I like mm. I like the they've got very good BC. I think the BC is actually higher than than the advertised BC. I had to make some changes after day one um, at the Alpine shoot. Um, BC is a little bit higher from what I've seen. So mm. pretty cool. Yeah, I'm happy. It is the West Coast though. Weird shit happens there. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'll go back to Trenton maybe sometime and see. Unexplained phenomenon happening down in the south. Yeah, Island. yeah. And then uh, when you were shooting the Magnum, so you were six, um, Ian, you were six five PRC, <coughs> 30, 32 inch barrel on that one, or forty five, like yeah, sixteen inch <laughs> yeah. barrel. Just go the opposite way and run like a stubby. No, nah, just just running twenty six. Okay, yeah. And do you, do you have a general preference around that twenty six <clears throat> point? You don't. Uh, no, no, 20, 26, 24. Yeah. Um, once again, it was just some barrels that we had available. <clears throat> Another. Some some of the export barrels that um, hadn't passed a bit of the quality control. Yeah, and it's, you know we we knew there was nothing wrong with the way the barrels would shoot, but they wouldn't look quite right if they were going to be exported. Yeah. So um, and it was twenty six. So previous to that, my my um, six five PRC barrel before that was twenty four inch. Right. And then yep. when that was shot out, I moved on to this twenty six because once again it was something handy and available. Mm. I've just got this vision of you digging through like this big box of barrels everywhere and go, oh, this will do this, put this, spin this one out, this one will do this. That's one of the uh, the, <laughs> the great benefits, I guess, of working at one a of the, yeah, one of the great benefits. Yeah. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Who'd have thought? <laughs> I didn't quite get that at the plumbing supplies. You'd find like a bend or something. You're like, I can't really do. Maybe make a target. You could get some of those galvanized fittings for target racks. They were useful, I suppose. Yeah, pretty something. handy. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. So it's not you know not completely removed. <laughs> um, I once asked the engineers if they were interested in threading a barrel, and they very very rightly, I suppose, said, "Yeah, we could do it, but no, we're not going to because that's not what we do." So it's just like we have got all the gear. We probably could figure it out, but go take it to somebody who does. That's what they do because, and they stood back from it like cool but i'm going to take that advice and and won't ask again um i then found out one of the guys had done the dies for some of the moldings for the um uh the magazines he brought in the die for the mags that i think the military were using for a while so we had the original die for all the plastic mags anyway side side blair yeah. what, what were you <laughs> hi what were you shooting uh just 260 again yeah the white the white gun yeah stormtrooper gun the stormtrooper. I'll yeah. get mine done soon. Eventually, yeah. Blair, I will. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. How many people were down there? Um, it was a, it was a one day. What? It was going to be two and a half days, but we ended up getting it done in one and a half days. Okay. Uh, there was forty nine or fifty shooters. Oh, good work. Yeah, I think we started with fifty and ended up with forty nine. Yeah. <laughs> one retired or was removed? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Heat, heat strike, wasn't it? Heat strike on the west coast. Yeah. Actually, <laughs> could have been on, on Friday. It was a bit like that. It was, was hot. Yeah. yeah, that first that yeah. first day was hot. I lost um, many pints of blood due to sand flies. Oh, yes. Wearing yeah. shorts wasn't a good idea when you're trying to shoot. No. You didn't, did you not watch my, I did an article, drink water, wear longs, you know, yeah. come on. Yeah. I, I managed to not put any sunscreen on at Torado though. So I ended up with a big burn all the way up the back of my head and my ears and everything. So, <laughs> yeah. which um, I, I think when I was doing the EE and I kind of just casually pulled my hood up because <laughs> I could feel the sun on my, my back. I was like, oh, this is not good. So, all right. So Blair, why yeah. don't you choose a stage? Because, okay. So were the stages between the Magnum and non-Magnum different? Um, is it different just, source of fire or how different are they? Just about all the same. Um, there was, instead of the Magnums shooting, one stage was for the non-Magnums was like 650 and uh, 1,070. They shot 900 and 1,300. Was that right, wasn't it, Ian? Yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. yeah. And I think right. everything else was the same. Okay. So, Ian, favourite stage? Uh, or just, a, just a stage. Favourite stage or a stage yeah. you like, whether it was set up, not necessarily the one that you shot well, although if you won, you probably shot everything well, but um, a stage you enjoyed. At the moment, I'm enjoying the tripod stages the most because mm -hmm. courtesy of Blair, I've purchased one of his nice tripods he brings in yes, and just bit of, spent a bit of time getting to know it and just... Um, such a big improvement over the tripod I was using. And now I'm just really enjoying shooting tripods because it's so damn effective. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Basically, yeah. They are yeah. good fun too. They are good fun. So what's the mount on the bottom of your rifle then? What have you got? Because you, you, if people haven't picked it up, you're shooting a hybrid. Yeah. But do you, is there an Arcus, what have you got on the bottom of that? Have you got a plate mounted yes. to it or? So you have mounted the arca plate to it full length of the forend. So, you know, about 300 millimeter long arca yep. plate, um, which is not a perfect fit for that hybrid stock. Uh, looks a little bit ugly, but hey, it's super functional and 
Yeah, so Arca and everything just clips onto that. Yeah. And I just, I'm going to just, because Dirk and Blair, you also, you're, you're all running Arca? Are we all running Arca on our rifles here? I'm like, running Dirk, pick. What, what are you doing? Pick. I'm just, just running pick. Can we introduce you to the wonderful world uh, of Arca? Uh, <laughs> I know a guy. It's just going to cost me money. <laughs> of course it does. This will cost, you know. It's um, like that. This is like that in auto tricklers between me and Blair. We should just get like a percentage of everything. You know, <laughs> everything. Anyway, um, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, I, I suppose for people listening in who haven't, like we, most people, they get Picatinny rail. They get the old sling stud on the bottom of it. Well, what is started happening is Arca Swiss rails underneath. And for people who don't quite know, basically Arca Swiss. And correct me if I'm not quite right, but it's sort of. Arca Swiss is a standardized mount that's come from the camera world. So Manfrotto's, for example, my, my yeah. Manfrotto, I'm not telling this for you, Ian and Duke, by the way, just for Ellison. Uh, yeah. um, saying yes as well. Yeah, just, <laughs> yeah. yeah but yeah. like all my, my existing camera tripods, mounts and everything, all the heads for a particular system were already working with it. So what they've done, and I don't know, four or nine were the first or who, whoever did it, they realized, well, let's bring all those together and then suddenly you can start introducing all the tripods and mounts. And now I've got my atlases on the Arca Swiss mount. So it goes all on the same mount as well. Um, so guys who have already got a, a big camera tripod probably already have a system they can use. Um, just with either you can get small units or like Ian has and like I've got on mine and I'm picking Blair's got on his rig as well as long runs of them as well. So you just you can shift the whole thing up and down and up and down on it. So. It was really, um, really right stuff. Was the was the big push? Okay, cool. Yeah, getting it mm -hmm. in, and they they, Arca was never really our true standard. Um, so the really right stuff dovetail is the true standard. They, gotcha. They publish their their um, profile and everything, whereas Arca is just a, a a fairly general idea of what it is. Sure. So. Okay, when, we, when we're saying Arca, we're actually saying really right stuff. Um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was Arca Swiss that came up with the, the original de design. The profile. Yeah, yeah, profile. And then really right stuff, put a true standard out for it. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, they, they all work basically together anyway. Yeah. I've got like my, my, I've got a tripod head here that it's just a little, that you just wedge it in and it's in. But then as soon as um, at Tirada, the, um, Sean had one of your tripod heads as well. It just clipped in perfectly. It's just like, yep, sweet. So anyway, so tripod stage. What <laughs> what was the tripod? Do you want to read out the stage brief or let people know what the actual stage was, Blair? Uh, yep. So there was two. There was, um, the first one that I did was the standing tripod stage. Um, and it was at 550 meters, I think it was. Hold on a sec. Um, yeah, four, 480 metres, um, it's five shots, one plate in 90 seconds. Um, so you, you could set up your tripod and have it set to height and ready to go, but you had to start with a rifle on the ground. Um, then when they called go, set your rifle up and five five rounds off in 90 seconds at 480. And um, yeah, it was a, fa a fairly basic stage, especially if you're shooting off a, off a decent tripod. If, there's plenty of guys still using shooting sticks and a few other um, setups. Um, they're a little bit slower to get set up and everything, but once once they're on, they weren't too bad. But the the bigger tripods were the go. Yeah. So is anyone here supporting the rear as well? 
because when Sean shot at Tirada, he had his he had his uh, shooting sticks on the rear, and then tripod on the front, and that was that was rock solid. Um, or are you shooting basically what do we call it unsupported rear? I suppose you know squared up and leaning into it. I, I do a lot of both. Um, on that stage, um, there was plenty of time to get set up, so I grabbed another tripod because I had five with me, I think. So um, I grabbed. <laughs> I grabbed another one that was floating around and yeah, set it up as a rear support yep. and it, it was literally as good as shooting prone. Yeah. Um, the 500, yeah, 500 meter group would have been, I don't know, three inches maybe. Yeah. yeah. So Ian, did you grab one of your five <laughs> tripods that you had hanging around with you or did <laughs> no, you use I'm a spare barrel that you had? What a <laughs> yeah, 40 yeah. inch barrel to hold the rear up. <laughs> no, I just, I just shot it just tripod only. Um, okay. I had been using rear support previous to getting this tripod, but I wanted I wanted to sort of get away from that and just be, you know, basically using one tripod, getting the point of balance right, getting your body position and recoil control in the right spot so you can move quickly or change quickly if you have to. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, Dirk, are you same? Support and rear, just uh, yeah, yeah, I, I sat quite low, so I had just took one of my bags and kind of just put it tucked it under my under my arm. So it's, I'd say, a, a, a bit of rear support, S not complete. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what I run is, um, and I think Blair, you had the same idea. Um, with um, I used to have a well, I do have a full full pick rail, and what I did is I basically put a a QD mount on the small arca that you get with your with your um, with your tripod. So then that's already in the tripod, and you can clip that on and off. So it kind of works as, as yep. the same as as uh, arca. But then after a while, I kind of got if if you make small adjustment adjustments, and this is probably just me, I just need to do a little bit more training with it. But if you make small adjustments, you have to kind of loosen it up and tighten it up again, loosen it up and tighten it up again. So what I've um, done is I took a little, that same arc amount and just made a, a took a piece of timber, um, just plywood, and just created a little platform for myself. So then you chuck a bag on that and then you run it like you would run it off a barrel or whatever. And it yeah. is, you, you just pinch it and you shoot it like you'll shoot normal PRS. And it's um, obviously for this, if you have a lot of time to set up, then... Uh, Arca and everything that you can just um, uh, um, tie down and, and and work it up. That that will probably be more stable. But um, for different different types of targets, and you have to shoot quickly, then just running that on a bag is is really stable and really fast. So I'm kind um, of kind of using the tripod as a portable barricade. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. So um, that's that's the only way I'm running it now. And I actually got that idea from um, watching a lot of those NRL. Um, rifle matches on, on YouTube. And I see a lot of them have gone from, they've kind of gone full circle. Some of them mm. still run the Arca, but a lot of them run a platform and a bag on it and you just run it like that and you can engage different targets. So that that's kind of what I'm training on. Yeah, I have noticed looking online as well is there does seem to be a split of the guys working both those systems as well because yeah. they've, they've got a game changer or something or they've got like say the platforms <clears throat> or the rigs that they're just dumping the whole thing up as well. Um, yeah. And I, I can see how both of them have got their benefit, you know, depending yep. what you're doing as well. 
Mm. Um, I just like being able to walk away from, well, I suppose you can balance it in the middle, but I just like, you know, posing it like, you know, in front of a sun and stuff like that. Like Graham does occasionally, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, there was a follow-up question and I'm trying to think what it was. It'll come back to me. It'll come back. Oh, yes. No, I was going to say, Ian, probably Ian, because I, 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 have you ever experimented? Did you ever play around um, with the idea of uh, slung up in a tripod? And has anyone seen that recently, or is that just gone? Does anybody yeah, still I mean, do it? I've, I've been practicing with the sling coming around under the tripod. Yeah. So you know, in the forearm, and then clip to clip to your belt. Yeah. Um, do, do you so notice it? Does it give you enough stability, I guess, or does it help with the stability enough versus the extra time and the fact you're now tied into that rig? Yeah, I mean, it's stability-wise, it's very similar, possibly slightly better, mm. but you can be a bit restricted if you need to move, um, especially if you had got <clears throat> two targets on one tripod stage and if they're maybe offset by another 30 degrees or something. Yeah. Um, but just shooting groups on paper with both systems... It was slightly better with the sling attachment, but not necessary for the size of the plates we're shooting, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think that's the thing. People, we start chasing. I had a good dis discussion or a long discussion with a guy today, and he's chasing <coughs> the nth degree of a what is it, basically a hunting rifle. In his case, I'm like, go hunting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Go hunting. You know, you can we can stuff around for another six months or a year trying to get this this group from like half to court, whatever it is that you've got in your head, but just go hunting. And it's the same thing with precision. You've got to always remember what is the size of a target that we're trying to hit or achieve. So, yeah, does that extra bit of fussing, is it going to help or are we better to less fuss but more time to settle into the shot and breathe and just get everything sorted and have some breathing space, literally? I find with the uh, sling on the tripod, it doesn't – with the bigger tripods, it – doesn't help too much with stability now because they're, they're strong enough anyway, but it does mm. help a little bit with recoil management. It um, damp dampens that kick a little bit and you can and can help pull it down a little bit, especially like, yeah, tying it to your belt or putting a loop through your foot or something and just keep keep that front end down a little bit. Mm. Yeah, because you've definitely, Blair, you've got a lot of recoil with that muzzle <laughs> brake and that, um, that 260. Oh, no, you're running suppressor in the weekend, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, suppressor. Yeah, somebody was going to yeah, say yeah. that it was you, and it says me to yeah. <laughs> They're wildly bucking two sixty. On the standing tripod stage, I was I was seeing all my all my splash in, in the trace at, at five hundred yeah. on the standing yeah. tripod. It doesn't move much. Yeah. No, you'd hope not. The well, <laughs> so the Magnum Clark, which always interests me. Are you you're you're still seeing all the hits? It's not the same thing. You're locked up. You're you're seeing all your own hits. Is it coming off or is it coming back down? Or what's the what's your sight picture look like with a shooting a six five um, PRC off a tripod? Yeah, the rifle's not particularly heavy, so yeah. and it's also running at suppressed. So there's definitely recoil to control. Yeah. So is actually lifting the sight picture is actually lifting. Yeah. Um, can still see the hits on the plate, but you're not. The cost here is that's coming off the plate each time you fire. Of course, yeah. yeah, yeah. But it's staying within your field of view. It's not drifting easily. into never, never land and then coming back no, down onto it. Easily within the field of view and maybe yeah, a half plate high. You know. Yeah, I think that's the interesting thing because with the the hybrid, you are running what is a relatively light rig compared to some of the chassis rigs where the other guys are yes. the opposite, where they're bolting weight onto it as well. So yeah. you've got it's a very practical you know it's not like yeah. it's an interesting gun because it's that kind that you can then put a different barrel or you could go 
take it probably into the hills whereas i'm not never carrying well i, I nearly went hunting with my my chassis rig recently but that's because i had yeah. to walk about 10 meters from the hut and uh, <laughs> actually felt guilty so yeah so that, that's the interesting thing i've always wondered yeah because there is there is more uh, uh, yeah it doesn't matter there's trickery but there's still physics involved if a light gun with a bigger round it does recoil yeah, I've got another question because um, uh, I think you run the what is it? You run the carbon carbon fiber barrel on the six five PRC, correct? Yeah, and then the steel on the six Creed. Yes. So, what is your offset like when you when you put on the one barrel versus the other one? Is there like the, a major difference in terms of offset because it's obviously a lighter recoiling rifle and a very heavy barrel versus a heavier recoiling rifle on the light barrel? You mean as far as the, the zero offset on the scope? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So elevation-wise, there is virtually no change in elevation, wow. which seems to be maybe a bit of sheer luck. But I found that um, even with my 223 trainer barrel, it's still the same. The elevation is within 0.1 or 0.2 with a barrel change. But the uh, windage is normally about a mil and a half out. So, I mean, I just keep the information with the ammunition, you know, mm. of each caliber and redial the scope, reset the turrets back to zero and um, check your zero and, and charge on. Yeah, because that, that's kind of a cool idea as well, because then you can buy one high quality optic and not yes. spend on two optics, two rifles, and you just have one quality optic and just run that for everything. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. With the with the same ergonomics of the stock and the same trigger, I mean, I mean that's Absolutely. the that's the thing you get. That's you're just dream. familiar. It's uh, uh, trigger rig everything. It's the same thing. It's like you get familiar with one. I I have the opposite because I'm. Uh, you do the same thing as well. I'm sure. And you're setting up everyone's rifles. You're always on all these different guns. So you sometimes I'm not quite settled on that gun I'm shooting, and then I'm switching onto something else, something on something else. So hence building my rifle that part of it was like right i'm building the rifle i'm not messing with it for another year or two and i'm just learning to shoot a particular rig because yeah. it'll be because normally i've been switching so much between rigs and guns and everything like that the, so and i kind of know the answer already but the, you can probably go into it a bit more steel versus the carbon and and it's what you found basically i figure is what what was available but were you looking for a carbon for the 6.5 PRC or if you'd found a steel, you would have used a steel? Is there a, is there a preference um, or was it kind of what you had there? there? There probably is a little bit of preference now. I mean, we've been, the previous barrel was carbon and, and I did a lot of hunting with it. Yeah. And then also shot comps with it and that's just the way we designed it to have a carbon barrel. But there's also a steel barrel option, which is the same profile as the carbon barrel. So it adds sure. a lot of weight to the rifle. Yeah. So in the perfect world, I would actually run a steel for the competition, whip that out, and when I'm doing my hunting and other stuff, put the carbon barrel back in to save yep. the weight. Yep. Yeah. Do you notice any improvement with um, the carbon for Mirage at all? Um, it's interesting because the, the steel will just keep getting hotter and hotter and create more Mirage, but you've got to get up to the 20 rounds plus. Mm. which um, we don't want to be doing for the PRC because <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty hard on throats. Yeah. Um, but whereas the carbon will get to a certain temperature and it'll just stop at one temperature. But when we're shooting 10 to 12 rounds like we are in some of these events, it's not enough to be noticed either way. 
Hmm. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So, excuse me. And um, Dirk, did you tripod shooter? You have another stage you particularly uh, liked? Um, I actually I'm coming up. Remember. I'm coming up with disliked, incidentally. So it is the one that you liked. Yeah. Um, I actually, it is one of the stages that I did did well on, but. Um, I don't know what the stage. I don't. It was a ten round. One of the ten round stages. I think we only had two ten round stages. What was it? one the first day and one the second day? I might have been wrong. Oh, there's probably a little bit more. Anyways, one of them. Um, it was the longer one of the longer stages, and we had to um, read a little bit of wind. Um, and that's one of the things that I'm very interested in now, and is is trying to get to read the wind better and so on. And it's really good to get that first round hit. Um, and there was a lot of points on the table and I hit the first nine and then on the 10th one, probably got a little bit comfortable and, <laughs> and, and, and pulled the trigger, got off the gun and waited for the ding and nothing happened. And I was like, 10 out of 10. And they're like, no. And I'm like, what? And he's like, that was a miss. And I'm like, are you joking? He's like, yeah. no, I'm serious. I'm like, oh, okay. So a little bit of celebration there, but it was still good. Um, it's 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 rewarding for uh, for a guy like myself who's not been shooting for a very long time um, to get that wind read right and then make that first run impact at, at distance. So that's that's always good. So was that the uh, thousand meter one or one of the no? I think it was at eight eight hundred seven fifty one right just below the bushes. We're shooting from by the cemetery. Um, no, no, that was other side in the middle. That was the, yeah, yeah. That was yeah. the other other one. Yeah, about seven ninety meters, I think. Yeah, from yeah, the, yeah, from the middle. Just, yeah, just on the face or the hill. It was kind of. I think it was on the side. Um, it was clear and then trees almost. I think. Yeah, it was seven fifty there on the on the top. It was pretty good. Um, I can't remember. I'll probably I've got photos of the stages. I can't remember which one yeah. it was, but um, yeah, that was good. Yeah, all all of those seven hundred meter plus stages were just the winds were just tricky enough that you'd be on for two or three in a row, and then you couldn't see them couldn't see the shift in the wind, but it was enough to put you a, a plate off target, and you just you couldn't see it. Yeah, yeah. I guess I think on my first round I was in the middle and then I was kind of dancing left to right. So you'll see the plate shift left to right or right to left and you'll go, okay, I'm make small adjustments and kind of just manage to keep it within the plate for nine rounds and then 10th one, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> A little bit of early celebration. Yeah. Yeah. So the, um, I mean, for, for all of you really, and I, I guess I'm, I'm, like at, at, at Tirada, I was talking to, uh, I'm going to get his name wrong. I think it was Greg who won a couple of years ago. Two, three, anyway, and, and, and it used to shoot, was shooting quite well, but I was talking to him about it and he said he was just having, struggling keeping his head in the game for the whole, for the whole day. And I think it gets to the point where you get a, a ability to shoot and you've got your gear set up and it becomes part of a this mental challenge of like, can you just pay attention? Can you actually be in the game? Can you be focusing on the shooting? And he said he'd be doing some stages, he'd be good, he'd be there, he'd be thinking it, he'd be, have a strategy. Other days he just seemed to be wandering up and was kind of just kind of got ready to go up and realised he hadn't quite sorted his calls out and it was just hard to keep on point. Um, 
Ian, do you have, like, is it something you're conscious or aware of and do you have any tips for, like, staying in the zone? Because, I, like, a lot of guys, like, I made some cock-ups that were basic fundamental admin cock-ups where I shouldn't have just dialed or I dialed or stuff like that. But obviously, you make less of them, hence you are, you know, winning. I don't know. Have you got your, like, pre-workout cognitive brain juice going on or what's the deal? Oh, definitely. I mean, the, the co- yeah, the concentrating on, on each stage now is once you get past the admin problems that have happened in earlier events and you're like, I won't do that again. Well, yeah. you know, you shouldn't do that again, like forgetting to dial your dope or something like that. Mm-hmm. First round goes three metres below the plate. Um, sort of got through some of those in, in previous events, whereas now, and I've been guilty of it a bit in the past, not so long ago too, is you're waiting at a stage watching the squad in front of you and you'll see somebody do something different that you hadn't thought of. Mm. Yeah, oh, that looks quite a good way to do it. Maybe I'll, um, maybe I'll try that. Maybe and, I'll throw my plan out the window. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and follow a plan you haven't tried. Yeah, yeah. And wonder why you don't not, don't do very well. So sure, I've now just completely ignored what I see other people doing. I look with interest, but I've got my plan, and and, and I stick to it. And that's pretty much just yeah. I plan the stage as I'm walking up to it or I'm watching and waiting the stage. I plan out how I'm going to shoot it. And then I just basically sit back and relax and wait until it's your turn to go up and then pretty much just try and switch on, just stay really focused on on what you're doing. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it was interesting. because, But on, on the flip side as well, there's plenty of people who go to the streets where it's primarily a sh- social engagement and they're just having fun and everything like that. And it's, but I suppose you get the point where you, you get that little bit of competition streak in you and you're like right yeah. it's time i want to i want to get serious but we'll we can still you can still have all the laughs you have everything but um yeah i guess it gets to that point if you're walking up and you haven't you're actually asking what targets you're going everything like that you're like you're not going to be at that level that guys like yourself and like Dirk, you know all the competitive guys are because they are they're just putting that extra bit of seriousness into it it's still fun i, I suppose i should oh, say this yeah. it doesn't become this big grumble fest where everyone's like gonna shoot gonna shoot they're still fun. There's still plenty of jokes being cracked, but I guess it just mm. comes to a point where it's like game on and let's see who can get the game on better, basically. Yeah. And it's fun to do well as well. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've got quite a bad habit of uh, thinking a stage will look really cool in a video if I shoot it a particular way. And so <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll do that and, and yeah, it doesn't, doesn't always quite go to plan and yeah, but it looks shit and the points go out the window and. Yeah. Well, Dirk was thinking of his happy finish at the end, where he was just like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've I've got two of those stages that I had at the Alpine. Um, <laughs> I guess that probably talks to our our worst. Our, yes, please. Our worst there, there you go. Nice segue. Off you go. <laughs> so, um, last last stage on the first first uh, first day, we've got um, we had one of the stages where you have I think it's four plates or five plates. It's five plates different different um distances and you had 90 seconds so you shoot from close to furthest so you go one two three four five and then the next one you're on the same same area same everything but you've got 60 seconds to go from furthest to closest so um, 40 meters out to 700 meters that's the one and um I had a i had a i'd say a, a decent day on on first day so i was like okay didn't make really any fundamental mistakes where I, that I was kind of angry about. The misses that I missed were wind or myself. 
Um, and then I was like, okay, uh, with the 22s, I've kind of um, trained shooting off the reticle. It'll just be fast. I'll stay on the gun. I've got this, got my dope and everything. I've trained this and um, dial for the closest one and then just start holding over and then just kind of drop it. Um, and it worked out pretty well. It was like, say, two and a half mil and then two mil and then one and a half or something like that. And um, first shot, I'm low and I can see that I'm low. But if I shoot two shots on a plate, then I can make the adjustment. But now I shot one and I'm kind of like, uh, just and we've got 60 seconds so i'm like just go to the next one same do your do your holdover that you know and i shoot shoot low again and i'm like trust your dope you went through this you did everything right i go miss 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 and the last one that i actually dialed for i think i just managed to hit it and then um it's kind of disappointed and i looked up and i dialed 0.9 of a mole and not 1.9 so I missed everything by a mill, everything. Um, so, so much for my holdovers. I just, yeah, yeah you need your first dub to be right. And, I, and I've got another stage as well. The first stage of the first of the second day, they go hit the first plate, the closest one, and then further. And then um, let's say there's three plates, different distances, but then you have to hit all of them. And then you have to come back, shoot two shots on, two of the furthest ones, so not the closest one. <laughs> and I came back, but again, not listening to the to the, um, to the the stage brief. I was just going, okay, one, two, three, and then I can choose a plate. But at the end, it says, except for the closest target. So I go, one, two, three, come back and smash that closest target. I was aiming to shoot groups on it because it was nice, fresh paint. <laughs> and then I'm all chuffed. And they go, no. Wrong and I'm time. like, no, what? And they're like, there's no points there. And I'm like, just no. Just, just no. And, and then I kind of took that on the chin as well. So, yeah. Mindset. I need to get that right. But, yeah, the other trick of the mindset is then continuing on and going, well, that was the first. Because you could also, first stage or the first of the second day, it could be like, well, that's it. I'm, I'm Whatever it is. And it carries as a funk the whole way through. But it's yep. almost like each stage needs to be didn't do that well, whatever, gone, done, what's the next stage, what are we doing now? Yeah. Because otherwise... Then, yeah. And, and, and after that, I, I, I was very happy with how I performed. Mm. So it's kind of making that mind shift. Yeah, correct. So Ian, let, it, let the Please. humans here know you've got a weakness somewhere. Was there a stage that you weren't <laughs> overly happy with or what? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> and, and we're not talking about 9 out of 10s here. We're talking about 2 out of 10s. I got a real good one at a stage that I zeroed. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah, cool. Oh, okay. Um, Let's hope. <laughs> so we in the Magnum class, we I think Blair said before we had a, a 900 meter, it was a 950 or something, and then we had a 1300 meter target. So we got to warm up on the 950, which was was no problem. Mm-hmm. But the 1300 meter plate was over another little ridge, so it was affected by the wind quite a bit differently. Mm-hmm. which we'd seen the previous year and stuff like that. So it wasn't anything unusual, but it, just really hard to work out that bit of wind. And the plate has a, a background that's very hard to see any splash. Especially with the 6.5. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Especially with the, the 6.5 pill. And um, I just could not hit that plate to save myself. Mm-hmm. So I asked for a call from the RR after the third, third 
shot into the nether where I couldn't see anything. And he's like, yep, you're right up in the, um, you're above the plate up in the crossbar. It's like, shit. So, I, you know, quickly measured that in the scope. It was like 0.5 mils high. And I thought, oh, yeah. So I held another 0.3 lower mm. and, saw it, and then I saw it go under the plate. Mm. Okay. So I halved that and then off to the side and I surrounded the plate with dust, but yeah. no, I, I couldn't get on it. It was pretty, pretty frustrating. And put a force field up at that point. It's a very tricky target, that one. You say, you know, you say it's very tricky, and I, which uh, obviously it was. And I think the next shooter after me was Sean Ellis, and uh, I think he was off with his first shot, and then he stacked the next six on there. Yeah. You know, shooting the same caliber, same, pretty much same sort of rig. So definitely could be done. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I, and I where, in the, where in the day was that stage for you? Again, that whole mindset. Again, you just you tuck it away. You're like, right, whatever. Next stage, new stage, fresh stage. That was the oh, that was the second to last stage for us for the day. Okay, but then that's another point too. Like you're saying, and you know, yep. I've learned now that if you if you bomb a stage, and really in these events you can't really avoid, afford to zero a stage. Yeah, if you've got a zero a stage and want to be at the front. That's probably the one to do it because that's probably the hardest stage for people to gather points on. Sure. Yet there's big points up for the first five rounds. There's a lot of points in the first five rounds on those stages. Mm. Uh, but yeah, just got to put it away and I'm just like, yeah, oh, well, okay, stack it away, go well, to the next one and try and clean it, you know. Especially because you're, you're on the second stage of the last. So the last stage, it's almost, it would be tempting for some people to kind of go, that's it. But, you know, it's just like you're you're on a home straight now. It's like, well, that went, you know, but you have to then switch back up for that last stage and to actually get it done. Whereas I, I think a lot of, you see, especially like a lot of the shoots, if it's been a long day, if it's been hot or cold or wet, you've got that fatigue kicking in. There's all sorts of things coming in at that point. And those last couple of stages where a lot of people will just go, not quite over it, but yeah, you just see they're not as on on form as they were. Yeah, well, we shifted from there to the uh, standing tripod stage was the last stage, I think, for us for that day. And, you know, looking at that and ranging at that 480 metres and with the tripod practice I've been doing, it's like, got this, just finish on a high, you know. Yeah. So, and clean that stage, and that was a great way to pack up and finish the day. Mm-hmm. Blair, we didn't actually ask you, you had favourites or not-so-favourite stages? Um a couple of favourites, like Dirk said, the one where we had five targets up the hill, you know, 440 metres up to 700 metres, uh, five targets up the hill, and, um, yeah, 90 seconds to go up the hill, and then we had 60 seconds to come back down. And the way our squad did it, we'd shoot, like, four shooters, go up the hill, and then they'd come back down the hill. So, I don't know, a couple of minutes between my, my going up the hill and coming down, and I cleaned them all going up, easy, had like 40 seconds left to go so do exactly the same thing coming down the hill and miss most of them just <laughs> just i don't know just that tricky switchy wind like the wind the wind had switched com- completely from left to right to right to left in that mm. five minutes and um yeah we we're seeing the uh the wind fairies going both both directions um on, on the way there and yeah, you only got sixty seconds to shoot five targets, and you cut. You basically you, you're moving before you even impact the, the target, and yep. so just 
trying to chase your misses that you're not seeing and yeah just should have taken a little bit more time and uh so it was it was my best and worst stage all at the same time. They're, they're good fun stages because they're fast and I like shooting fast and I like doing stuff like I like to dial I like dialing on time and all that sort of stuff. It's good fun. When there's more more going on, I tend to do better um, and it's more fun. There's, it looks better on videos and it's just fun to do. <laughs> well, that's why I was always I was always intended when I was doing pistol shooting to switch over to standard or something because you had less rounds in a mag, which meant you got to change change yeah. mags more and move more. And it was just like, yeah, that's that's the the hitting the targets. Yes, is a very important part, but also the moving the, the manipulation is also fun for me. That's something I you know also enjoy. So maybe I should say, up revolver shooting. Maybe really really handicap myself. <clears throat> uh, Blair, the other, the other stage was uh, pretty good as well. That, uh, was that I think it was you, you shoot in kind of like a, a U. You yeah. Start on the one side, you go up, you come back down the other side. Kind of like around That's, the world. Yeah, yeah. That, that, yeah. That, well, that was at the cemetery as well. Yeah. Um, that, that was quite cool. Um, I like that stage as well. Yeah. Um, I did the same thing. Cleaned them all going up and then missed half of them coming down. <laughs> Don't know why. Uh, just, just that switchy wind. I was off. Oh, on the, yeah, the, on the um, round the world one. So you shoot up the left hand side, three targets going up, and then you come across and then you shoot three targets going down. And there's similar distances. They're only. I think you only dialed maybe a mil, mil and a half. Um, but I was bang on on the three going up and then coming back down, I was off the right and then off the left then off the right then off the left. And it was all the same wind holds. It was just, and it was only a 60 second stage. And yeah, just yeah. that witchy wind. Yeah. Good fun though. <clears throat> just a question that just came into my mind for Ian really. And it's just a, so shooting Tirada, you shot six Creed, then shooting um, Alpine, you shot six five PRC. Mm. Is it just for variety that you're switching through the divisions rather than just shooting a a, cal a cartridge and just and just knowing it, or do you just enjoy shooting a variety, or you prefer to shoot further down South Island, or you know? Yeah, I mean it comes into where um, the South Island stuff generally has a lot longer targets. Yeah, when you go back to you know like the the vortex, you know New Zealand mm -hmm. Mountain Challenge, a lot of long targets there, um, and then really I sort of based around it. Sort of like if we're 800 meters and in, I'll shoot the Creed, and if we've got stuff beyond 800, I'll shoot the PRC. Because mm. um, I suppose it's yeah. also true. I can't really see much. Well, there's guy there was guys shooting it, but you can't necessarily see huge benefits on shooting the bigger guns up in the North Island because you're right, we're we're shorter distances on average. Um, yeah, I guess yeah. it gives you that limit, limited benefit if you're 700 or 600 metres and shorter for some of the medium range events. I mean, Graham does that good one at Aratiti where mm. they have some targets at around about 1,000. Um, that's, you know, that's probably some of the longest stuff in the North Island, around that yep. sort of 1,000. They might have one 1,100 metre stage, possibly. Yeah. Yep. But yeah, so I guess it's it's yeah. So yeah, it's really just choosing if you get the opportunity to stretch out, you're, you're taking that and and getting the PRC out instead. Yeah, and I'm also just trying to save barrel life on that PRC. The, the ones you've picked out of the barrel that you had lying around, <laughs> those ones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, 
I mean, it's the obviously always work to get another barrel in there, but um, <laughs> that, that you know, the PRC is hard on the throat. Yeah, and sure. The, I mean, I just checked that throat on my PRC today because we've just had some new projectiles turn up from Berger. Yeah. And um, I tried to do an overall um, length on them to see how far uh, how far it was to touch the lens, and the projectile basically just fell out the end of the case. Right. So I gave it a good clean and then dropped the bore scope and had a look and yeah, throat's gone. You know, there's five millimetres of the throat is just completely gone. Gotcha. But the rifle's still holding sub-minute MOA. Yeah. Um, but we'll have to um, address that soon and re, you know, re-chamber it, ch- chase it, chase it a bit actually, cut the back off and... Yeah, you know, chase it down. So you... Chase it down. As, as a follow-up to that then, are you actually, well, chasing the lands, obviously, but are you trying to jam projectiles into the lands? Are you offset it? Because there's a little bit of a trend, again, developing overseas where guys seem to be sitting their projectiles further and further away from the lands rather than it always used to be kind of push it into lands and then take it off that tiny bit. Are you, you got a preference? Are you in there or are you letting it? Um... Definitely off. We're, yeah. you know, we're at the minimum 10 thou off, but generally 20 thou and more. And I'm restricted by magazine length as well. Sure. Yep. So, you know, at the moment, well, you know, previous to the throat um, eroding away, <laughs> I was going to get uh, at a 40 thou jump. Okay. Yep. Yeah. It's just something yeah. I think because I'm at that stage. I've found now for the sixth creed, I found a load I'm going to be happy working with, and I'm going to start with um, uh, basically, yeah, um, overall length or how much I jump it. And I'm tempted to give it more again, going to be magazine length anyway, but I'm probably going to do go further than last time I would have actually died. I've got the the, the hybrids long ranges, which apparently jump pretty well as well, anyway. Yeah, so, apparently, mm-hmm. um. I figure the same thing. It's funny, a lot of my development at the moment, I've got on the back of my head. It's like, why why be pushing the the barrel and the load and everything to the nth degree? I'll just give everything a bit of breathing room so that you yeah. don't see, which you do occasionally still see these guys running their rigs to the, I'm thinking Sam actually, funnily enough, running <laughs> yeah. their rigs to the nth degree, which is that's they're trying to eke every bit of performance mm. out of it, but then they just have reliability issues or or whatever it was. Um, well, in my case at Tirata, where the, the cases were just like spinning themselves around in the action and deciding to go up the chamber backwards and jamming another one up behind it, which I think I figured out was just me not cleaning the bolt properly. So the the ejector, the plum, yeah, it was. So yeah. I, I shot it on Tuesday and some didn't eject at all and pulled the bolt out and it, it was stuck down. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to pull that to bits and detail clean that when I get home. <laughs> so hopefully that fixes it. So. So uh, with the with the shoot then at Alpine, I mean, is there have you got sort of takeaway? I guess we'll combine it takeaways and advice to people who are into these shoots and you know what you would like to do better. What do you think is just good things to keep in mind when you're approaching these shoots? Um, we'll go anti clockwise on my screen. So Dirk, you can start. <laughs> um, so i think i think you, a, a good combination would be to to actually try and shoot the south island stuff and the north island stuff because the north island stuff because it's a little bit more positional um you you kind of get to train that that area of shooting but with the south island stuff where you're shooting a lot of a lot of a lot of them are, are prone you start a read wind and you get to know your ballistics very well and you chew up your ballistics and you check all that stuff because um, and then, and then if you kind of have bl- both of them, um, I think that'll make you a real good shooter. Um, 
that's one of the things that I've I've picked up because um, on the Toronto match, I made a few fundamental mistakes. Got like a minus fifteen on my spinner, which is probably not the best. Um, <laughs> but it's because it's because just I was just like I'm gonna hit it, I'm gonna hit it, I'm gonna hit it, and I just went into the minuses. Um, but that kind of when you go over to Alpine and you're shooting more prone, that you you get into that. Um, that mindset where you're like, I'm prone now, but this is longer stage, longer, longer rounds and longer stages. So I need to get that, that fundamentals right when I'm on, on prone to, to make those, make those first round hits. So it's kind of, yeah, you have to, you have to get that combination, I think. Um, and that really helps if you just not just shooting North or not just shooting South. And I, I, I hear a lot of the guys say, Oh, I like the South, South Island shoots more. I like the North Island shoots more, but, it's, um, and, and I thought that I liked in the more positional stuff, but after this weekend, it kind of grew on me, um, because there's so much other things that come into play once you go past 800, um, wind and, and, and all of that. So, um, it's 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 always good to shoot both, both of them, man. It's kind of my takeaway. <laughs> just shoot, shoot more. I just I just just need to get that bank account just to get a, a little bit more money and then shoot the South Island stuff. But that's um, it's just the travel for the South Island and, and all of that. That's kind of restricting me. But yeah. The, the the other thing I've noted though that you said a few times as well, you're doing a lot of twenty two practice. Yep. And yep. you seem to feel, which I, I'm sure we'd all agree, that that has also helped and translated over to your center fire stuff as well. Definitely. And that, that especially like the positional stuff, weirdly enough, at Torada, the prone stuff, um, I did pretty badly in. Um, changed my bipod as well. So I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm blaming the gear. <laughs> um, um, Hand those bipods. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> Just throw money at the problem and hope it solves itself. Um, so the positional stuff, like the tank trap, um, I think there was one of them that had like a lot of branches over each other. Um, and then um, the, that A-frame as well. Yeah. I think I cleaned... I cleaned three out of the out of those three ones that I can remember. I cleaned two of them, and the other one I shot, say, I think it was six or seven rounds, mm. or eight. Eight. I think the branches were eight rounds, and I think I shot. I got six away because it was kind of tough sh- changing the positions and everything. I r- ran out of time. But coming back to the twenty-two, mm. that positional. If you train positional, because we've got little tank traps and stuff that we shoot off. It's it's crazy how how fast you get comfortable behind a rifle if you've already done this for quite a few times. So mm-hmm. definitely twenty two and it's cheap and it's it it's uh, one of the best ways to train. And well, you don't need long range. Oh, no, uh, that's a, I suggest to people who haven't done a shoot and they're still nervous, if nothing else, dry fire off a sawhorse or something and just yep. work getting on the ground, up off the ground, on the ground, up on the ground. Because <laughs> for people who haven't shot a field shoot before. It would be like going from shooting prone all the time to suddenly shooting ipsic pistol with there's movement yep. and you're, it's quite a different discipline with the movement and from a safety point of view and from a you know accuracy point of view, but probably more from a, as much as anything a safety point of view is getting comfortable manipulating that firearm you know up and down which yep yeah Blair how'd you go this time how'd you feel uh, about it not not <laughs> as not as good as I'd hoped I ended up sixth. Um, in the class, which is pretty good, but um, I didn't do anything really stupid. 
um, didn't have any really bad stages. I just didn't do good enough in all the rest of the stages. I had a lot of lot of first round misses, which was probably the biggest difference. Whereas all the guys in front of me, just about that, they had a lot of first round hits. And um, there's yeah, big big points deficit there. Um, so yeah, that was that was a problem. Whereas last year, um, I had a lot more lot more first round hits. So that was that was a big difference. And it was just slightly bad wind calls. And like Ian was saying, go into a stage uh, with your plan and stick to it. Don't listen to the guy beside you. He said, oh, yeah, I was 1.5 mil win then. I was like, oh, I was going to be at 0.7. Oh, I'll go 1.2. And yeah. then dial, dial down and end up back at your 1.7. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I did it both ways. I did it both ways a couple of times where he had – had conferences where we were talking about what we were going to do and uh, I went up 0.5 or 0.8 um, one way and then on the next stage I came down and I should have just stuck to where I was at. And I, I knew this and I still still changed my mind just be, right before it. But the wind was changing every couple of minutes and so you, you had to be on it anyway. So when I decided I was going to be at 1.2, um, instead of the 0.5, it probably was right then. But then, when you actually went to shoot, it was it changed again anyway. So yeah. you can't you can't really look at it like you changed your mind because someone convinced you to. It, the conditions have changed. Um, but I, the previous match, I had done a had, had a couple of stages where I tried to do too much. Like Dirk had said, I decided that I've, I, I always dial everything, and I decided that the round the world stage was going to be close enough that I could hold over. I was going to hold under for the first, first one and then hold out, then hold on, then hold over. And I complete, completely forgot to hold under for the first one. And then I got <laughs> rattled and then I <laughs> up the rest of them and I finished and I had like 30 seconds left to go. And I was like, I could have easily dialed that whole lot and still had heaps of time left mm-hmm. over. So yeah, I made sure I didn't get in my head too much. And um, so, yeah, you've got plenty of time on, on all the stages to dial everything if you want to. Um, so I made sure I used as much of my time as I could because uh, I tend to shoot pretty quickly and because um, that's just the way I like to shoot. And so I tried to slow down um, and, yeah, just, I think, yeah, make, make use of more of your time. And yep. like there's... We had um, Ben shoot with us um, first time he'd done along the Alpine match, and he's the same as me. He likes to shoot really fast, and he stuffed up a couple of couple of um, easy shots where he was just shooting too fast and didn't see, didn't see the edge of plate hits because he was shooting so fast, and it just went off the plate. And uh, he he said the same thing: just need to slow down a little bit and uh, keep things simple. Well, I've, I found myself saying that to a few guys in the squad as well at Torada. It's like, yeah, slow down. You've got heaps of time. Take a breath. Get those shots. You can't miss, was it? You can't miss fast enough or whatever it is. It's no no rush. You've got the time and you've got one or two shots left, so make them count. So, Ian? Uh, yeah, I think probably takeaways with that is, um, once again, like um, Dirk was saying, that the fundamentals on the on the prone stuff can sometimes be more important than your 
you sort of think when you're doing a lot of positional stuff. And obviously the fundamentals on the positional stuff is very important as well. Mm. But that longer range and that watching for the wind shift, um, keeping that rifle in the right position. And and I was guilty of that myself. Um, the lads are saying the stage we had six plates going up the hill. Um, cleaned on the way up because you had 90 seconds and then coming back down you had 60 seconds. So that little bit of time pressure just rushed me a bit. And as I was coming back down, you know, shot over top of two of the plates mm. just by not having the rifle in the pocket properly because you had to, you know, you had to swivel and, and adjust your, your rear bag height. And, um, yeah, just not getting that right in the shoulder pocket properly. So, and shot over top of the plate and straight away, you know, you have got enough time. It's just that time pressure makes yep. you think you haven't sometimes. Yeah. That, that, sta- starting- that stage is you really should have a completely different rear bag or adjust your bipod height because it's that bigger difference between the first plate and the last plate. Yeah. yeah you're compromising either the far one or the close one. Yeah, that, that's right. Something. The other thing that I found in that, that one minute stage is, um, as everyone said, you actually have enough time, but what, what played with your mind is normally in the Alpine shoots, you, you, you can't, the Alpine stages, you kind of have, more than enough time so we i got because in my in, uh, in my instance it was the last stage of the day i got kind of used to the two minute two minute limit and then when someone says one minute then you kind of <laughs> just want to rush everything because now there's no no time at all but one minute is still actually quite enough to to get five rounds out if you just follow through and you just have good consistency so um i think i finished with 20 seconds to go and it's obviously zero points, but um, <laughs> yeah, very very efficient zero points. Yeah, though. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I missed I missed by a mill very efficiently every single time. So yeah, um, but yeah, you actually do have enough time. So um, just breathe and, and and maybe I think I think it's within the rules to have to just ask someone to 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 tell you when you have thirty seconds left and just to have ten seconds or yeah. even fifteen seconds. It's pretty easy. Someone can just sit on their watch and just go got 30 seconds left you've got 15 seconds just ask someone and, and that'll keep you obviously um up to speed we'll one, one, what's that we'll make it worse we'll make yeah. it worse yeah depending on but that's that's your mental you know thing of it as well yeah. people again i was watching people how much time have i got left or like it doesn't matter just hit the targets it does your the yeah. way you're shooting at the moment you just need to focus on hitting the targets and forget about time don't mm. add that as an extra extra issue on your shoulders at the moment just focus mm. on hitting but something you said in which i think is an interesting point as well which is those just steps of i don't know when you want to call it shooting development or whatever as you shoot and you get um, a level of competency where it's taking all your kind of energy just to get those fundamentals and, and break that shot and everything. And then there's that layer on top of that where you've got to hold all of that, but then also have your situational awareness or whatever you want wide enough to see the wind shift. And that's a real yeah. trick because guys will look at that wind, they'll nail it, they got right, and wind is right now, and then they've fixed it in their brains. And yeah, they don't see the whatever indicators have switched that the wind is completely different and they'll just continue shooting that same wind hold the whole way stay true where someone standing behind them can kind of watch and go, yeah, that wind completely shifted halfway through. So it's another, that art of just, yeah, target fixation, but at the same time being able to step back out suddenly and go, oh, but that tree is now moving the opposite way. That's yeah, not yeah. what I'm looking at, but oh, hell, and now mm-hmm. I've got to replan. And that's, 
another complicator. Yeah. I think what I found is with the plate, you have to, if you concentrate on how the plate swings, mm. you kind of pick up because it's only you that know where, when that trigger went off, you know where you aimed. Someone else, the spotter can maybe tell you left or right, but you know where you pull that trigger. So then making that adjustment based on how that plate swings mm -hmm. um, worked pretty well for me. Very nice. Were you, Dirk, were you dialing wind or holding wind? Um, most of the time I was holding wind. I like, at the moment, I'll maybe start dialing wind, but um, what I like about holding wind is it gives me perspective of the actual amount of wind that I'm holding. Um, okay, and I kind yeah. of learn off that plate, like at 800, I was holding <clears> this, <throat> this feels kind of right when, um, as opposed to when I dial wind, you don't see in that picture how much you have dialed. So I'm kind of in yeah. the learning phase of understanding when I'm really interested in, in wind and, and how that changes obviously impacts and so on. So um, at the moment I am holding the wind and that really gives me that, that idea of how much wind shift that I'm, I'm having um, each yeah. time. So um, yeah, it's kind so of my approach. That's a moment. very good point that I hadn't thought of, of just, yeah, the visual, because it, then it's just starting to lock that into your brain. Whereas if you're dialing constantly, yeah, you're always in the middle. And well, yeah. it, but you don't really know how much the wind mm. shifts if, you, if you're not holding it. Ian, what mm. are you doing? You're a holder I'm, or a dial kind of guy? Uh, um, I'm a dial. I'm a sort of a probably a 90% dial. Yep. So some of those longer stages there. I'll dial what I think the wind is, but then I'll be measuring the plate to see how much room I've got to play with. Sure. So I might be dialing what you think could be onto centre, but if it's a bit, if the wind's a bit stronger than you think, and you just sort of, I mean, you know, it's obviously your best guess. Yeah. I still won't be holding centre of plate. I'll be holding some wind as well and giving myself a bit of room to, and then, like Dirk said, to see if the plate's getting hit on the left or the right, which way it's tilting. Or if you miss them, you know, if you're obviously missing, you see it, <clears throat> you know exactly where you are, and it's a small hole to get on. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So you're yeah. sort of, yeah, you're presetting yourself up so you're not way off, but then yeah, after that first round, then any adjustments now you're actually holding, you're not sitting oh, there. All, all holding, yeah. 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 <laughs> Which I have seen people try to do, and I'm like, that's not, that's, you're going to confuse yourself really quickly by doing that. <clears throat> I, I'm sort of similar. I'll dial the base wind. What I think the lower the lowest wind value is, I'll dial that and then um, hold whatever on top of that. Mm -hmm. So I might might dial 0.5 on, but we might have one mil of gusts, so I can use see when I see what the gusts are, then I'll I'll hold off from that. Yep. So you're you're bracketing then, so you've got yourself almost two wind holds in your head. Is that similar similar what you're doing as well, Ian? Or have you really yeah. you've got the yeah, yeah you've got the the average and then the gusts, so you know. I've got, yeah, yeah, I've got the I'm, yeah I'm working on the average. Yeah, I'm not going to the lowest, then I'm just going to the average, so then I can hold either way. And a lot of that too is you know when it's depending on what stage you're on, some of the, a lot of the stages got quite big trees around them, and with your electronic earmuffs, you can hear the pickup of the wind in the trees. Yep. And a lot of times I'll just adjust my hold on what I can hear. Okay. Sometimes, because yep. sometimes you can't actually see that much, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Here we go. We're going to have a rush on the electronic uh, earmuffs now. <laughs> it, was, it was definitely tricky to see some of the winds on um, the five to eight hundred meter plates. There was just some very slight shifts, 
um, in yep. the wind. It was very, very hard to see. Um, and like everything seemed seemed the same, but it was enough to, to blow blow you off target. But yeah, it was quite quite tricky to pick up some of them. What was it? Um, there was like little I don't know what do you call it. There was something in the air that you can actually see the wind fairies. Uh, wind fairies. Wind fairies. Yeah. There we go. Off like off like yeah, off like um, thistles or something like that. Little white wind. Yeah. Yeah, it was the first time yeah. I ever saw it, but it was pretty handy because you just Strong, look at yeah. the target and you can see where everything's going, well, except for those little ones that go like a tomato, <laughs> tomato and you kind of just don't know what you do. That's um, from, from the poplar trees. Ah, uh, yeah. That, that worked pretty pretty well. Um, that or the other thing that I did is um, parallax, just if you're aiming at 800, uh, you just turn your parallax way down to 50 or whatever, and you can see kind of the mirage and everything running to a certain side. That gives you a little idea of oh, yeah. where the wind's going as well. Very cool. All right, so what have we got coming up? Blair, you probably have your list. What's yeah. next down south? Um, next weekend, novice weekend, next weekend, we've got uh, a Sparrowhawk PRS match on Saturday. Yeah. And then on the Sunday, we've got the final of the Section 22, 22 series for the mm -hmm. year. Um, so we're going to do, um, yeah, we've got 30, 30 to 40 shooters for the final. I'm not too sure how many we've got in the PRS match for Saturday, um, but it's a new new setup for the um, Sparrowhawk PRS. It's more a lot more positional stuff, but closer, um, closer targets, but bigger targets, but um, yep. a little bit more time pressure. So it should be good fun. And I, um, sorry, I don't have Graham here, so I don't really have the North Island list. Uh, Dirk, do you know what's in? What's what's next? Uh, <laughs> there's, uh, there's another 22 shoot coming Takarawa. up. Takarawa, mm. yep. I think that's next, which timing-wise I can't make. And then... Yeah, me too. I can't make it. Uh, well, you want a holiday so, from shooting anyway, don't you, Dirk? I think yeah. you, you need to <laughs> well, clean your guns. Well, there's a, there's a, there's a little local match at Kaitoki Range. <laughs> On Sunday, twenty-two one that um, I'm looking to attend. The weather. You're thinking you might hit a long toe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Um, I know the guy actually who's organising it. So, um, and he's yeah. It looks like it's going to be a cool match. So, if anyone's listening, maybe head over. Um, but I think the next one, the next North Island one, is except for um, the twenty-two match on the fifth of December. I think yeah, next, yeah. 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 Next year, um, end of Jan is Hataku. Yeah. And then probably the end of Feb would be um, the Graham's match. Um, but it might, I better double check. It might be the next one. Dates are just, anyway, dates are not always working for me on weekends. Yeah. Ian, anything else yeah. major coming up for you or for Hardy's for that matter that, you know, you're going to work your way through all that powder you've cheekily got <laughs> displayed behind you, you know. I'll send you my address. <laughs> <laughs> um, now I've got um, Tokoroa in yep. two weeks' time on the 5th, cool. um, which is, you know, has been moved. I mean, Simon had that down in May, and I think COVID sort of pushed that, pushed that along. It didn't, so he couldn't help but he couldn't help but clash. He couldn't help but clash with... Um, uh, with you know with Sparrowhawk because I wanted to yep. shoot Sparrowhawk, but um, I'm really really keen to shoot this uh, 22 match on the fifth. It it's uh, awesome. We've got so many shoots going on. It's also at some point there is going to start becoming clashes because there's only so many weekends yeah. in the yeah. year, and there's 
two islands and you know that's the yeah. thing as much as the boys i know try and coordinate and try and avoid it it's going to happen occasionally so it's all good can i chip in can can, sure. can we organize like a north versus south one? <laughs> <laughs> do you really that'd be go cool there? man do you really go <laughs> I mean, I, I uh, could possibly point out there seems to be more guys heading from the north to the south than the south to the north. Well, I mean, I could observe if we lose, that. we lose. I could just uh, observe that. No? <laughs> that would be cool. I think it would be cool. I know a guy in Nelson that is actually trying to organize something at the moment. So uh, that might be a good opportunity. Nelson's yep. about as yep. close as the middle as we can get. Yeah. Yeah. So what's fun. what are you shooting for the twenty two? You, do you have a twenty two barrel for the hybrid? No, no. I wish. Come on. Yeah. Where is it? We've, we've talked about it, but it, no, it's not. Um, it's a bit of a that's a bit of a switch around. I can appreciate. Yeah. Um, I just shoot the, the Tika T one X. Gotcha. Yeah. Yep. Just just in an MDT chassis and um, yeah, just nice little rig. You know, heavy enough for what it is, but. Um, once again, use it. You know, use it for the open class shooting. It's not a. It's not a hunting rifle by any means. Sure. It's a. It's a. You know, it's a. Yeah, a practical rifle or a gaming gun, if you want to call it that. Yeah. Hmm. Any last thoughts, lads? Thank you very. I mean, thank you very much for your time. It was uh, good having two new faces on, and I'm sure we're going to see. Um, you know, we'll have you back. That's we'll have you back. That's for sure. <laughs> but any, anything else to add? Last thoughts. I think we were just as far as um, people thinking they want to shoot a match, you know, just just come and try. If you can get in and we know someone that can get you in, come along because we're actually all pretty friendly, helpful people. We want to encourage mm. more people to this part of the sport. So um, anytime we can get a new shooter, you know, we're, people will loan them gear and help them out with yeah. stuff, you know, like Blair with tripods and things like that. Well, he's got five of them at most shoots, apparently. Yeah. Like, did you carry them all yourself? What's what's the deal here? Do you have like a porter? You got a little llama that brings all your tripods along with you. And you just put like golf. You got like a golf bag. You just pull out the number four <laughs> tripod for this stage. And that's why that's why we take Dupont along. Ah, right. Of course. You're <laughs> <laughs> good. And you're totally right. I think that's the biggest thing. People just do. they get along to one and they realize what's going on and they're like, oh. Oh, okay. But there's just that that perceived, what do I need to do? It's like, you just need to turn up. That's all you need to do. Have a gun and they, 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 turn up, be safe. That's that's yeah. pretty much it. And yeah. the rest of it, the guys will be able to figure out and make happen and you'll have so many people. At, well, you could also be, I guess, not willing to ask for help, but just, yeah, just just go there open-minded and guys will be there to help, help. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. All right. Well, uh, thank you very much to the folks that tuned in. Um, and uh, I guess we'll be back again next week and figure out some subject for then. All right. Thank you cool. very much again, guys. Thanks, guys. We'll okay. the end. Thanks, dudes. Catch you again soon. See ya. See ya.